What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, baby. Hello, my love. Another episode of everyone's favorite <laughs> sex and relationships podcast, Turn Me On Podcast. <sighs> and um, this actually might be, I think this is our last episode before we take a little holiday break. Is, that for, is it for this week, the 15th? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my God. So uh, as soon as December hits, it's basically the end of the year. Like yeah, December I, one. I feel like I feel like December, like after December, like fifth, everyone just kind of goes, "All right, fuck it." Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, I did real well. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, so just a heads up: the plan is we're gonna uh, we're gonna put this episode out today, and then uh, and then, folks, we're gonna take some time off. We're gonna take a little holiday break. We might um, put we might put up a couple of uh, yeah older episodes for your listening. Review. Yeah. Or if you're new to the episode, a couple of older episodes that maybe you, uh, you know, you didn't go to the very beginning of the catalog, so you didn't listen to yet. Let us know if you have any requests. But uh, we'll be back on my birthday. January 5th. 34th birthday. 34. Yeah. Who 
would have ever have thunk. Who would have thought I'd live this fucking Honestly, long? Honestly, I well, we had brunch with your mom yesterday and she was saying like she remembered the day of your diagnosis in 1989 and just feeling yeah. like yeah. she was telling me how sweet it was. She was like, I just, I don't know. I just had it in my mind that we are not going to lose him. And now you're 34 yeah. and you're taking life altering CF medication. Yeah, I live too long now. How profound. Speaking of the meds, um, I'm on like day nine. or Yeah, day nine. Coming okay. up on day 10. I think I'm coming more. What, like there's more ejaculate? There's more semen. There's, we, That's well, interesting. Not even semen. There's more jizz. Yeah. Ejaculate is what I called it, which I, you know, for all the... That is way too <laughs> many syllables. Ejaculate. No, it's nice. It's fun to say. So more, you, yeah, it's increased I'm in quantity. I'm, I'm noticing more jism. Okay. And is this pleasing to you? It is. It's fun. <laughs> I've never really had that. It's uh, kind of exciting. Visually, is it more fountainous? Yeah. Okay, this is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it ha- the consistency hasn't changed. It's still like, it's still like watered down. Like, it's just coconut water. Right. But it's, uh, yeah, I'm like... Could it make you... I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to like clean up. <laughs> Welcome to the real world. <laughs> yeah. um, it can't uh, make you be able to produce children. No, not... So as far as we know, not for uh, males who take it or people with penises. Okay. However, people with um, ovaries who take the drug, there have been some... Uh, they have become not so sterile. Ooh, and there has been some interesting. Like, there's been some accidental pregnancies and things like that. So if you uh, if you're if you have CF and you were you couldn't conceive a baby, yeah, as a as a person with uh, with ovaries, then you start taking tricaptin. There's a very high chance that you could start doing that again, huh. or again for the first time. Yeah. But not with uh, not with me. That's not a. There's no. Not yet. There's no precedent no, for it's, it yet. No, it's pretty like they're pretty. They're pretty. I mean, they're pretty. You, you never know gonna... about anything. You know who who would have called COVID? Um, but it's pretty. It's pretty solid that that's just not possible. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's a little interesting tidbit about that, my personal life. That is interesting. I has it does it. Does it have so it's pleasing to you? It's fun. It's yeah. frustrating as well because of the cleanup. Yeah. There's extra more chores to do now. Yeah. Um, any other uh any other um side effects of that particular side effect? You feel like more confident or No. No? No, not really. Okay. No. I don't get as winded when I'm fucking. Okay. Or in general? Or in general. Oh, big time in general. Okay. I walked up Citadel Hill the other day and got to the top of the hill and wasn't out of breath. Wow. Which, like, I can't, I, I honestly can't begin to describe how crazy that is. Like, it's, it, that, I get how that wouldn't sound like a big deal, but that is like a monumental feeling. That's a life change. Yeah. Do you feel like when you breathe, you have, you're getting more air in? Oh, 100%. Really? Yeah, like I'm, I have like. Well, that's quite the sigh. You know how every day I would get sinus headaches? 
every yeah. day I would take at least one to two ibuprofen every single day. Haven't had a haven't taken an ibuprofen yet. And the polyps, the sinus polyps. Dude, I don't you... I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. It just went away. Just whatever's going on in there, gone. Fascinating. You know, that reminds me, I was having a conversation with my 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 best friend. This is so wild. Like, I have known this person since I was 10 years old. Yeah. I'm now 37 years old. I call her my best friend, even though we've gone through periods of like probably months and months, maybe even up to a year of not talking. Yeah. But when we're together, there's just, it's so comfortable. Anyway, so we were talking, she she was saying that she's been experiencing some symptoms of endometriosis. Oh, no. And I, when I, you know, when we first moved to Halifax, I was going to the sexual health clinic as my like main source of like gynecological, gynecological issues. Thank you. Yeah. Man, I'm having a real tough time with pronunciation these days. Um, it's probably because all those fucking muscle words you got to memorize. <laughs> uh, Sternoid, clenoid, mastoid. Do you know what this is called? No, what? Your, 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 your eyebrows. They're called your fucking okay, eyebrows. You know, what the, you know what your eyebrow muscles are called? Your corrugator super silly muscles. Yeah, of course you can't pronounce gynecological. <laughs> okay. There's not enough room in your tool belt. <laughs> um, so, and so when I, when I first started going to get those issues checked out here, um, one of the main symptoms, uh, that I was experiencing was when I was cramping, yeah. um, around my period, I, my rectum would also be cramping or, and having like severe sharp, shoop, sh- sharp and shooting pains. Whoa. And that is that sounds awful. It's it was it's fucking awful. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, but I don't have those symptoms anymore. And mm. the doctor at the time was like, "Well, we can get this checked for you, and you can get yourself diagnosed, and you know we can proceed to the, down this route, or you can continue down the route that you're going, which is managing your symptoms with." A lifestyle and diet changes because what I was doing at the time was like, so I'm not having, I'm not eating anything out of aluminum cans because apparently that can affect it. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. Uh, why? Why do you just laugh at me? I didn't laugh at you. Sorry. I I <laughs> thought I thought I what I thought you were going into was that you were like, so you know, at the time, here's all the things that. I wasn't doing, and now I just like said fuck it, and I do it now. But you're saying that that this is the, this is what you don't do. This is what I don't do. Gotcha. Okay, I don't eat, and I don't eat a lot of dairy. Uh, like I, at the time, I was like a week before my period. That's the rule: no dairy. So this is what I was right. doing. Now I barely ha- eat any dairy. Yeah, and I barely eat anything out of a can, and I barely eat any gluten, and I barely eat any grease. And all of those things exacerbate the yeah, yeah. symptoms. Um. But it's cool that that can go away. Yeah. Because I definitely thought, oh, I'll have this now for the rest of yeah. my life. Like, but and but you don't know for sure that it was endo. No, but there's very few other things that occur with your period that make your rectum uh, contract. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, yeah prob- probably. I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm telling, I'm telling. You're you. telling me that. Yeah. Okay. And, and, sure. and, and symptoms that then. You know, they were around for a couple of years and now they're gone. So not gone totally. Sometimes they still kick in. Not the rectum pain, though. That was really hard. But that being said, I called my doctor up the other day and I was like, look, I really want to see a gastrointestinal doctor um, because 
Well, I struggled with how much to tell her because she's, you know, she's an MD. So I'm like, do I want to tell her that like, I've always held tension in my digestive system and whenever I'm stressed, it always, Mm. you know, I don't, I don't want to get, I want to be really concrete with her, like real, you know, Western observations of my body. Um, even though she's pretty open-minded and her question to me was so funny because I'm in massage school and we use all these anatomical correct terms for everything. And she just goes, have we ever looked at your bum? And I was like, uh, no. Anyway, this was a month ago. Um, she was like, why don't you have an appointment? We'll, we'll come, come in and I'll have a look. Come in. I'll look at your little bum. bum. And I just can't, I just haven't made the appointment yet. Okay. Come on. You just call, come on in. We'll look at your bummy wummy. What do I call when I, what do I say when I call the, I need my doctor to look at my, my bum bum. (laughs) Hi. I wonder if my doctor's in next week. I need her to, uh, she asked me, my tushy. She told me I should give her a call and and see if you guys could book me an appointment. Look at my bum. (laughs) I'm sorry. What was that, ma'am? I still look at my bum. There's like that. I just, I think I have, I have a bum and I need her to look at it. Oh, oh God! Yeah. yeah. Well. Um, <laughs> uh, great. So nice little life update there. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm having my bum looked at soon. Speaking of life update, uh, the this actually today as we drop this, there's an episode of Sick Boy coming out where we spoke to a guy who is who has a hundred over a hundred biological children through sperm donation, and he doesn't do it through sperm banks. He does it all under the table. And he, do, it, he does it. They do it under the table. Is I that? I mean, sometimes he does. <laughs> yes. Like, I mean, like, like literally like transferring sperm in the target bathroom, like oh, yeah. to yeah. the client yeah. or, or to the, you know, the recipient. And then they're taking it and putting it in a diva cup. And, you know, it's like all super, not quote unquote, the normal way to do it, but definitely costs a lot less. Definitely costs a lot less. And, and anyway, whatever. So like, you know, People are going to listen to that episode and they're going to be, I'm sure there's going to be people. That What's his name just Ari around? Nagel. Oh, yes. Oh, and so people oh. just know like this guy, there you is, need a baby, this guy he will. He is all over the news. Like it's his fucking name is not illegal, there. eh? No, no, there's no, wow. nothing illegal about it. That's incredible. There shouldn't be anything illegal about yeah. it. You should be able to do what you want. Well, I, mean, I truly think he's doing amazing things. I think that I think that in the conversation that we had, you know, one of the things that arose in the conversation was like, you know, you are providing a lot of people with this ability to create a family. Mm-hmm. And in some of those families, he's like, he's involved. He's involved as to whatever degree the 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 mother of the child wants him to be. And so some they're like, you know, this is it. I'll never see you again. Like, the, like the job here is done. But some of them are like, well, you're, you're, you're his or her dad. Like, so. You know, I would like financial support. Well, that, that's, that base is covered. Okay. Um, uh, that's not an issue, but it's like, you know, like Charlie has a birthday, his 10th birthday. Like, would you be able to make it to Idaho to like, Oh my make, God. Like those types of things. Right. So I love that. And, and, and so anyway, over a hundred children, um, and I feel like people are going to listen to the episode and they're going to, but, oh, oh, right. The thing that I was like, I wonder what might become an issue for him is like when these kids grow up, them perhaps having resentment towards him, mm. you know, yeah. for, why you weren't know? you there? Or, I mean, there's that. There's also, why do I have 
uh, over a hundred brothers and sisters. Like right. why, like why are, you know, whatever there is. And one of the things he said was like, well, I would, he was like, I would say that, um, having a dad to hate or be mad at because of those types of things in his eyes far outweighs the, the, the challenges of never knowing who your father was. Mm. And he was like, I'm willing to take on that side of things. Um, but yeah. knowing that they at least know who their dad is, I think is a better, think of how many grandchildren option. he's going to have. Oh my God. Think Does I'm- he have any yet? Did he, did he mention whether he had no, any grandchildren No, no, I, uh, I think like 18 <clears throat> might be the oldest kid that he has. How old? Which is his kid. It, like, his, like his first child that wasn't through this process. Okay. Is 18, how old? 18? Yeah. Okay. So, so he has 100 children under the age of 18. He has 18 women pregnant right now. <laughs> he has oh children all around the world. Not just the US. Like he's, he, it's fucking crazy. Anyway, go listen to it. But- I brought this up and go, I mean, I've been talking about this nonstop since we had this conversation because it blew my fucking mind. Blows my mind. Why wasn't he on our podcast? I know. I know. And so, so I, he'll do it. He would. Trust me. <laughs> we could have him on. Um, Word out there. But the, when I brought this up to people in, in, in talking about it, there was a couple of people that are like, well, what if their children, like, what if their, ch- his children met, didn't know, and... Had been, like children. they were like, I think an issue here is like perhaps like accidental incest. Right. And I was like, uh, I mean, I, I don't really buy into that because, um, well, you know, the U S is a very large place. Um, but also like you would think that if you met someone and you would ask them to, who their parents were, I, yeah. Like if you're, I mean, in the very least, if you met someone and you were talking about trying to have children together, right. like actively, the conversation would for sure come up at some point of like, you know, I've got a, I've got a pretty fucking weird dad. And then, you know, the other one being like, oh, let me tell you about my dad. Trust me. <laughs> I've got a weird dad. And you're like, oh, I don't know. Like I, I bet my dad would top your dad. And then they both realize as the details are coming is, out uh, and then they just dad. quietly wrap up. The yeah, I have a hundred brothers and, and sisters. So try to beat that one. I have a hundred brothers and sisters. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, I, I don't buy that. But then through that conversation, and I knew about this years ago, but I, I totally forgot about it. The conversation of this uh, this app that exists in Iceland, which I think is so fascinating. Do you uh-huh. know about this? Yeah, I do. It's like the incest dating app in Iceland. Yeah. Or, no, that came out wrong. <laughs> it's a... Preventative. Preventative incest dating app. Um, so if you're not aware of this, there is an app in Iceland to help you avoid fucking your cousins. Mm-hmm. Because, um, is it a population thing? It's a population thing. So the new incest prevention prevention app is a debatably handy, is a debated, debatably handy new byproduct of a large online genealogical database about the inhabitants of Iceland called Icelandic Book, which translates to the Book of Icelanders. The app allows users to bump their phones together and instantly find out whether or not they're related. The uh, tagline is bump in the app before you bump in bed. Oh, nice. How fucking good is that? Yeah. So sleeping with a relative is far more of an issue in Iceland than most other territories due to the country's small size. Iceland has just 320,000 residents. That's that's that is less, less than Prince Edward Island. That's less than, yeah, Nova Scotia. 
That's less than Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia's uh, coming up on a million, a million people. Oh, sorry. How many are in? That's about as that's less than the amount of people that live in the HRN in Halifax region. Oh, sorry, it's not less than PEI. PEI is like one hundred and forty thousand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow, though. Fucking very small. Very little. That's a very. I still think it would be fun to have that app. If everybody did like the Ancestry.com thing and you could just be like, yeah. how how are we related, yeah. you know? Cause the, the other thing that makes this hard is that um, unlike other Western cultures, the surname is not passed down through generations in Iceland. Oh. So, so oh. In, in, in Iceland, your surname is your mother or father's first name with the word son or daughter suffixed to it. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Your last so name. So I would be Jeremy Cobson. Oh, I love it. Or you would be uh, Bridie. Williamson. Uh, Bridie William Daughter. Oh, William Daughter? Yeah, it's the, it's the, sir, oh wait, sorry. Your surname is your mother or father's first name. So William, William's daughter. Dotier. D-O-T-T-I-R. Bridie William's daughter. That's right. Oh, I like that last name, actually. It's kind of cool, right? Yeah, William's daughter. Jeremy Cobson. Jeremy Maxineson. I think it would be Jeremy Cosmason. It would be Jeremy Cosmason. <laughs> Cosmicism. <laughs> so to use Iceland's most famous <laughs> export as an example, all that the surname of Bjork, uh, Bjork, who yeah. is, her, I, I didn't know this before. She Bjork, has a last name? Yeah, it's uh, Goodman's daughter. Goodman's daughter. Uh, so Bjork Goodman's daughter tells us about her heritage is that her mother's first name was Goodman. Wait, would I have my mother's name then? I guess maybe you would. And her first name is Mary. Wow. So your name would be Mary Bridie Catherine. No, Mary Catherine Bridie. Mary Catherine Bridie, Mary's daughter. Oh, it's so, it's Mary's daughter. <laughs> Mary's daughter is kind of nice. It's isn't pretty. It? Mary, Mary's daughter. Mary, Mary's daughter. Oh, Friday, Mary's daughter. Um, <laughs> so information which, if if exchanged in a bar late at night when Sigaross is playing really loud, may not give many hints to exactly what lineage or potential problems the Fnets family get together. Uh, people are listed in the phone book by their first names in Iceland. One of the developers of the new app, uh, Arnar Freyr Aldistinson explained Icelandic names differ from most current Western name systems as our surnames reflect the immediate father or in some cases mother of the child and not the historic family lineage. For example, my last name indicates that I am the son of Alstein, my father's name. So therefore I am Alsteinson. The idea for the incest prevention feature comes from our culture, he said. According, uh, accidentally sleeping with a relative has been a running joke in Iceland for cultures, or Icelandic culture for a while. I bet. It's funny that they, I, I'm glad that they, they can joke about it. Yeah. it I mean, it's, it's got to be well, bound to happen. Isn't there, didn't we have a listener write in and say, where I'm from, it's really not at all taboo to marry your own cousin, but it is taboo to have children with them. Yeah. And that was, um, I that think was our Iceland. friend Sophie. It, that was in Iceland. I think it was our, our patron, Sophie. I don't remember where they're from. can't remember either. I'll look it up later. Um, the app so far uh, is proving popular. So far, 4,000 people have downloaded the app from the Google Play Store. 4,000. Yeah, this was, this was years ago now. Yeah. Uh, in addition to the already available search functions where you can search for and find out how you're related to any Icelander, 
we added a birthday calendar to make sure you don't forget your relative's birthday. <laughs> so this is not a dating app. This is an are we related app. And what relevant information do I need to know yeah, about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's uh, just an interesting thing that I that came from this conversation with this uh, this math professor who's just impregnated so many so many women. Maybe all of his children should get the matching tattoos. Or all of them should get this app. Oh and yeah, join I together. suppose it's not limited to yeah. Iceland. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I'd like to go to Iceland. Me too. I hear it's really expensive. Yeah, I would love to go though. It's right up there with Japan. Are you a, a fan of Bjork? Yeah, I love Bjork. Really? Yeah. 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 Not really? Not, yeah. No, I never really. She never really clicked for me. But did you ever really listen? Or was it more like you just saw the shit on much music and were like, it's not I funny. didn't have much music. So, no. But my, fr- you know, my friend, so- Sophia. Yeah, yeah. She was a bit, she's a big Bjork fan. Or she, she was. She is Bjork. Bjork. I know. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Friends, my friend Sophia, she, speaking of people I haven't talked to in way, way, way too long, she's like an incredible, um, what kind of film, like, ex- it's not even experimental, but like, if you've ever watched, any sort of obscure art house. Art house. Yeah, art exactly. House She's just killing it. She's yeah. just making some really like obscure and cool, beautiful things. Living in Paris and yeah, you should give Bjork another try. Uh, I'll, I'll 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 put together a little playlist of some songs that you might actually dig. Okay. Might. No, no, I will. Okay. Oh, that you might dig. That you I might, might dig. You might. You might. Um, th- what? Uh, wolf. Uh, dancing with wolves. Yes. Is that her movie? Yeah. Uh, yeah. da- uh, that's dances with wolves. It's, um, I remember viewing that Lars movie. Von Trier, um, and it's just not being dances like, with wolves. that's a fucking, and just being like, I don't, I don't like Bjork, but I, maybe I just didn't like Lars von Trier. That would make much more sense. Yeah. Uh, dancer in the dark. Dancer in the dark. Lars von Trier is a, you either love him or hate him. Mm. I love him. Mm hmm. All right, well, let's, uh, let's not dilly-dally any further. Let's get to our episode this week. Um, this is, again, going to throw us into our, uh, our holiday season, so we're going to be taking a little break. You won't hear from us till the new year, again, on my birthday, just saying. Can we, are we allowed to share any information about our live show? Yeah, yeah. Because... We, yeah, that's right. We have a the, live show. And this, and this episode actually... We'll talk about some content that we're going to talk about on our on our live show too, right? Because we're talking about a little bit about BDSM, a little bit about BDSM, a yeah. lot about consent. Yeah, um, we have a live show coming Very up with Algonquin College. It's a virtual live show, and although it's for the the college, uh, the university students, uh, it is open to the public, and so we would love to see everyone there. Um, we will put a link in the show notes to uh, the event, and uh, that's where you can register. It's uh, on January 13th, and I believe the time one month. is uh, is 6, 6 p.m. Eastern. Eastern. So that's, uh, that is 7 p.m. where we live, and um, I don't know, 4, 5, 6, is uh, 3 o'clock out in Vancouver. And uh, our guest will be joining us from uh, 10 a.m. 10 a.m. In, in Australia? Melbourne, Australia. Amazing. Yeah, that's going to be a really fun time. But and, and the only reason I brought that up really is because I, I know that we we talk about some BDSM right. stuff with, right. uh, with our guests that you're going to hear 
here momentarily. Yes, this is our guest, Ollie, um, a uh, a professional leather daddy and award-winning leather daddy, mm-hmm. um, to talk to us all about the the subculture of leather daddies and uh, and BDSM in general. So hope you enjoy this episode. Hope you have a fucking awesome holiday. Yes. Spend lots of time with family, pet People. your animals, you know, hang out with folks that bring you joy. Um, and whatever you do to celebrate, I hope you do it hard and, and feel Completely. good Completely. Yeah. Uh, and uh, with that, I hope you enjoy this week's episode and we'll see you on the other side. Ali, you are a PhD. What are you? What, what are you a doctor of? So I'm a sociologist. Amazing. Uh, you are also Muslim. You are also. Uh, I I really want to get into this. You're a leather title holder, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know much about. Um, but also, you're you uh, you've been doing work in trying to develop a socially inclusive form of BDSM education. And that is also something that I'm dying to talk to you about. Um, but before we do, can you explain to me the world of leather title holders? What is a leather title holder? Okay. So basically, I think, you know, you mentioned earlier that you, you've talked about BDSM and kink, but there's a whole culture and there's there are whole institutions developed around BDSM and kink, not only in specifically in places that people play and actually practice it, but also in places where they're actually like representing it and being able to be like ambassadors or uh, hmm. to the community. So think about it like the Miss America version of the leather and BDSM world, essentially. Whoa, cool. That's really cool. I, so had no, comes, I, I didn't even know that existed. Sorry, Brady, go ahead. It, it comes with like a set of responsibilities and things you need to appear at. You know, it's actually funny that you mentioned that because like, as yeah, because it's like on some level, like when you are a title holder, it's like there's a sort of assumption that like you're going to behave properly, quote unquote. But then it's like, well, what does that properly even mean? Mm -hmm. So like, like I remember like when I was um, because my title was in 2016. And again, I remember there was like weird random rules like, oh, my gosh, like you don't want to be caught having sex when you're when you have the sash on when you're your title sash on. But then there's also uh. other people that are like, well, you're a leather person, so of course that's what you're going to be doing. So like, it's it's really weird, like how there's these weird, like um, like these soft rules and these sort of implicit kind of uh, issues that um come up. Like it was really interesting because like one time like I was at an event and I left my sash on my um chair because I had to go to the bathroom, and because like my sash was like, like I'm I'm like five seven and I'm like basically short and then my sash was like massive, so I left it to go to the bathroom. <laughs> And what happened was like, I came back from the bathroom and some, like I basically the person like, or the MC had my sash on stage and being like, oh my God, like you're not, you know, as a title holder, you know, you have this little faux pas. And I'm just like, really, really? (laughs) Like I- (laughs) You got shamed, you got called out. Oh yeah, totally. But you know, it's one of those things where it seems like, you know, how you handle like the sort of 
uh, tumbles and falls, you know, uh, as a title holder, it's basically how you're being judged at the end of the day. So I think, you know, even though there are these weird arcane kind of like do's and don'ts, I think at the end of the day, it's just how you represented and how you're able to kind of um, deal with the ups and the downs of the sort of leather world. Right. How, how, what does it look like? Like, how do you, how does one become a title holder? Like, what is the, what is the process? Is it like one night, like a, like a, a sort of giant ball and everyone's showing up in their, in their best leather duds and, pageant? and it's like, yeah, is yeah. It, is it like a pageant or like a walk-off kind of thing? Actually, you know, that's, that's a really good way to think about it. Um, but it's not, a, it's actually spread, a, a typical contest is spread over three nights. Uh, your first night would be your typical meet and greets. Um, and then you basically, the judges are looking to make sure that you're like, you can function as a person and not like completely embarrass yourself. Um, and, well, and then, you know, take embarrass yourself is, you know, is a giant vague <laughs> kind of like right. category with that. Um, but then like the next day, like in the morning, you have your interviews and then afterward you have your, um, the actual contest portion. Um, so basically again, like it's a whole process. And then usually the Sunday or the third day is usually like the celebration, um, so basically those are the main three days. And then like usually the contest itself before the interviews and be or after the interviews and after the meet and greet, usually that's when uh, a good chunk, uh, a, a lot of the uh, uh, rounds happen. So like, you know, like how you, like how you answer questions on stage and like, you know, maybe like, like the MC would be like, okay, so maybe you're in a situation where somebody you know pants you or something during the thing and like how do you handle that and then like you then like say something and respond and so and generally you're obviously trying to make the you know you're trying to like get the crowd engaged and like try to get them to you know respond well. and then right. the final part of that would be like the speech um so then you give a speech at the end and then you're dubbed you know or not or you know uh as like the title holder or not and usually like you might be competing against other people um, and so that's sort of the main process. And so then do you hold that title forever? <clears throat> like, yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. how, a title holder, always a title holder. For yeah, how amazing. long, for how long has this title holding process been around? Like how many daddies are there? So basically like, okay. So to speak to the immediate question or the, the previous question, it was more like, uh, so like basically like after you get the title for a year, then like you, even though you're actively on duty for a year, like after you get rid of the title or after you then pass it on to the next person, then, you know, the other person now assumes the duties, but you'll always be that, you know, Mr. Leather, blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. Um, and then going back to that question, how long has it been around? I mean, it's been around since the eighties. Uh, where basically what happened was during the AIDS crisis, um, one way to um, fundraise for HIV, uh, for HIV and AIDS was to actually get people into the, uh, was actually to get people into the bars. And so they ended up developing the contest. The first one being in Chicago. Um, and, I, and I can't remember specifically which one. I think it was like Mr. World, like uh, leather or something, or like it was like sort of like a bathhouse leather title. I can't remember. But basically, like, that was, like, the first title in the 80s, and then it sort of, like, snowballed since. Mm, so oh, cool. interesting. I didn't okay. know that history at all. I'm, that, that's really neat. Sorry, Brad. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Ali, I, I, really want to, uh, I really want to kind of dig into your work in surrounding BDSM education. Um, as a sociologist, is this kind of the line of work that, that you've chosen to go down? Or, or is this, like, a... Um, 
this uh, this pursuit in education in the world of BDSM is this sort of secondary to uh, another form of work that you do in the world of sociology? So, I mean, as much as I would think it'd be amazing to do research within the uh, within BDSM communities, like a lot of my research mostly reflects questions around inequality. So like things like race, sexuality, gender, um, like, for example, like right now we're we've just essentially uh, we, we're doing a book on black women AIDS activism and uh, basically specifically focusing on black women and like how they mobilize and stuff. Mm. Um, but basically, like a lot of the work that I do academically is very different than the work I do in the BDSM world. However, the work that I do in the BDSM world is very much interrelated to um, my research and my work as an academic. Um, so basically, the idea of being able to develop play styles and to, uh, and to play with folks, um, but then doing so in a way that's liberatory for everybody and not just simply focusing on people who've always been in these communities. Can you say more about that? Like, what is the people that have always been in the communities versus like a more inclusive Look. Well, I, I think it's really interesting because when I think about the history about like the more recent history about BDSM, like let's just say within the maybe 60s and 70s, um, no, 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 60, uh, for 60 to 70 years ago, um, I, I think about these sort of two parallel BDSM worlds. So like you have the more pan-oriented groups that focus more on um, men and women, and then you have uh, BDSM groups that's focused specifically on LGBTQ communities. Um, and so it's really interesting <laughs> because even though that they've sort of evolved separately, um, they still have certain things in common. So for example, like usually we have folks that are primarily white that dominate these communities. Uh, we have folks um, mm. that tend to be, um, that tend to discriminate against trans people. Um, and then questions about, and like questions about like the ethics around treating women and like, how is it that gender minorities are sort of dealing with certain issues within these communities? Um, and especially like, you know, like how are, uh, how are queer women treated within these communities? So I think it's really then interesting to see these sort of institutional dynamics around um, how is it that, gay, uh, for example, like gay men and how have they uh, have uh, developed their spheres around like this sort of white gay image of Tom of Finland versus like, you know, if we look at more pan-oriented groups, how is it that, for example, even though you're slowly seeing a lot of influx of, you know, people of color into the community, um, you're starting to also see, you know, the question of like how people are pushing and tugging against the changes that are happening demographically in these communities. Mm. What does your work look like in terms of in terms of like digging into this this sort of thing specifically? Are you are you are you sort of like embedding yourself within in the the different sort of, I guess, uh, branches of the community itself and 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 like interviewing people that are that are living it and 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 a part of it? Or or is it more of like a from the outside looking in type um, uh I guess, technique of, of work? I, I, you know, I think it's both because um, it, it's kind of weird because like there are times as a researcher, I like to think of myself as somebody that like, as a, that's like an outsider looking <laughs> in, but also at the same time, like as a researcher, I understand that like my personal experiences are affecting my research. So basically the idea behind it is that um, my, uh, so it's like the way that I've sort of navigated the BDSM community 
um, or these communities uh, is essentially somebody who who doesn't regularly fit into these molds. So, for example, identify as South Asian. You know, I have a lot. I have a multi-ethnic um, history and lineage that I can't easily pin down to like one country. Um, I also have a religion, Islam, right? That I sort of inhabit. That's not, you know, that's not something that you see in these communities quite regularly. Mm. Um, so, and then not only that, but it's not like even if there are people that are Muslim, like I mean, typically they're not South Asian Muslim. They might be, you know, maybe say they might be uh, Black Muslims, for example, which mm. might be, a, which is obviously a different experience than mine. So it's really interesting because I've navigated as somebody who under, who have done work and like thinks about these issues as a profession, but also being able to then take what I know and being able to then address them. And so like I've written a couple like op-ed pieces and stuff like that that talk about like what it's like being a, min a racial minority within um, these spaces. So like one I have talking about my own personal experience uh, and then the, the other, uh, which I talk about like being of color and sort of thinking about like the Black Lives Matter movement and how it, under, it affects my understanding of con to things that we see in the BDSM world. Mm. Um, but like the police officer's uniform, for example, as like a symbol of masculinity, which is something that gay men often use as like their image of like, you know, their, their aspirational image. Right. Um, and like for me, it's like, you know, I think, you know, that it can be problematic to not think about, or at least be reflexive about um, being able to, uh, you know, to, to really understand like there's a symbol that we're, we're upholding, but at the same time now we're, that we're thinking publicly about police brutality and, and, and police violence mm. against um, black uh, communities, then it's like, this is something that we ought to think about. Mm. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. 
in particularly in the in the gay community like what has your experience been like has it been has it been has it been tough at at times like have you run up against challenges or things that you know you didn't really quite anticipate going in ahead of time yeah you know the thing is like i don't know what i was expecting because mm. i mean in the sense of like challenges and stuff because i think when i started the bdsm community like i don't think my grasp of racial inequality was as strong as it is now because i was mm. much younger <laughs> mm. but uh but i think but i mean basically i mean i came into it thinking like hey like here's this group that's supposed to be all accepting it's supposed to be super inclusive and we're all supposed to get along and just value each other but then I started noticing like little things, like for example, like why, you know, like for example, I noticed that like minorities were constantly working events, but they were never the representatives. Or I noticed things like, um, you know, people like saying things at contests where they're actually asking, you know, Mexican uh, part, uh, uh, participants about being documented. <laughs> mm. So so those things were not registering. And so what I ended up doing was um, I ended up joining um, this one organization that, I mean, that's a, it's, it's a, it was actually a predominantly Black organization, but at the time, like, um, it's, it was a, it was a very inclusive of people of color. And I think it still is to some degree, especially on the West Coast of the United States. But um, like I ended up doing work with them as a senior officer to sort of help direct and manage a lot of the work and effort to spearhead inclusion within the BDSM community. Mm. It does yeah. in it like trying to trying to encourage that kind of inclusion, like where where do you start with that? You know, like how does the how do you how do you get the education out there? Um <clears throat> Because like one of the things that you said that sort of struck me and I, and I had never really thought about it because it's it's not a world that that I am a part of. But this notion that there's like, <clears throat> you know, you have the, the more um, heteronormative, like straight side of of BDSM and then you have the LGBTQ plus side of it and they don't really intersect. They don't really like they, they they're they're they are separate. And I never, I think if I was to like, you know, do what I typically do throughout life and, and not think very much about anything, I would just assume like, yeah, it's, it, it seems like a very accepting open community where every, everyone is involved and everyone is, is, um, accepting and open and, and inclusive. <clears throat> but hearing now that like, it's really not the case. And also, not that surprising like what the fuck is is the case that anything and everything is open and inclusive in in the world today it's you know it's not a surprise that we see this popping up everywhere um so having said that like what what is the <clears throat> what is the tactic to to encourage this kind of inclusion and to encourage this type of of education surrounding BDSM and the the social issues that exist within the, you know, the race and gender equality within that space. Oh, I mean, <laughs> how much time do we got left? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, um, you have a PhD in this, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think that, okay. I mean, I mean, I think there's several, like, for example, I mean, we can talk about like the representational aspect of it where obviously without people representing this first, you know, we can't, it's harder to get more people in, but then there's also the idea of the internal practices within this community and like being able to adjust accordingly. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so being able to think about like, Hey, like, 
you know, maybe we shouldn't be talking about, or maybe, you know, we should think twice about things like race play, for example, mm. where, you know, we're exoticizing, you know, a, a master's, uh, like a, a between like a slave, like an actual, like, you know, slave from the 1800s and, mm. you know, and, and being incorporating that idea into the way that we uh, have BDSM. Mm. Uh, maybe we should be thinking about the way that we practice consent. Maybe we should be thinking about the way in which we're able to, um, yeah, uh, you know, structure differently in terms of like the institutional aspects of like the events and like who's running the nonprofits and how these decisions are being made. So I think there are just multiple levels and multiple ways we can increase inclusion. But in terms of my like specific intervention that I developed, um, my that specifically focuses on the play itself. Mm, okay. I, I'm really intrigued by the, what you mentioned about the, the police uniform being a symbol of masculinity and yeah. like, how do you introduce <laughs> new symbols? Like, how do you get a new, how do you elevate a new, you know, new symbols for a, a community? First of all, I had no idea that the BDSM community was so well organized. It sounds like <laughs> there's committees and conversations and AGMs and things like that. I had no idea. <laughs> but um, yeah, so like what, man, just the, the symbolism and the, in the play itself is yeah. how do you create new narratives? And, and to piggyback on what Bridie's saying there also, I, I can only imagine that in doing this kind of work, you, you must be receiving some sort of pushback mm. from, from some folks in the community. You know, it's like you look at these things that have, that have been around for quite a while and people, people derive a lot of pleasure from it. And then, and then all of a sudden to be challenged with these notions or these ideas that maybe there are some parts about this thing that you love so much, that's pr problematic. Like, do you, do you face much, uh, much pushback in the work that you do? Oh, of course. I mean, like, I mean, that's been the last 10 years of my life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, right. Yeah, but so, so it's kind of like I'm used to it at this point. It's just like it is what it is what it's going to be. Um, but I think that um, what keeps me going are the people that do start to innovate and do start to kind of uh, develop around uh, these new narratives. So, for example, like one person that that I came across was this woman, um, and she wanted to be become more dominant or become better at being dominant. And it was interesting because like she thought like for a long time that like her submissive wouldn't take her seriously because she was a brown woman essentially she was indian and what happened was she you know we would do the way that we worked together we were able to kind of like reframe and reappropriate and like rethink of ways in order to make her feel empowered and then that way she felt like she had um more of a push through when she was becoming more uh dominant so um, it was really kind of interesting because it, like part of it involved mm. using some of our experiences and then the other part of it was actually looking at these kind of like um, these sort of dominant questions about what did it mean to be uh, dominant and what it means to be submissive and then sort of reappropriating uh, that for her specific needs. So, mm. yeah, I think that like it is possible to do it. It's just a matter of, you know, do we have this space to do it? Do we have the um, institutional through to, um, because again, like, you know, this community, like I think any other community, like it's dominated with like nonprofits and like you have the same kind of, you know, procedural um, kinds of things that are happening. So um, <laughs> it, it's all those things institutionally and play a large part in like how people play 
uh, when they play, why they play, and like where where it's available to play. Not only that, but getting the training itself. Like for example, like even though you might go to somebody and they're like, okay, well we can train you how to use rope, fine. But are you gonna then train? But then are you gonna give them the idea of like, okay, well, you know, may, uh, you know, uh, maybe on this person being tied up might not necessarily be great because it might remind them of X, Y, and Z. And that might induce sure. a certain kind of trigger. So, I mean, that's something that we, uh, or that I do in terms of life practice. It sounds like it, what just came to mind are like when Jeremy and I opened our relationship, we developed a contract of agreements that was a living document that we edited regularly and changed daily. Um, but it seems like that's the kind of negotiation between the dom and the sub situation mm-hmm. that that can be handled in a more um a thoroughly conscious and mm-hmm. intentional way mm-hmm. yeah and it's also knowing too because i mean there are i mean i think for the most part um at least in my experiences i don't think anybody goes out to actively like harm people yeah. in like a negative way or an unconsensual way but i think that the, i think the 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 kind of gray area that we're speaking to are the people that just don't know yeah. Right. So it's like, well, what if you just don't know? And I think that, you know, that's a legitimate place to be, you know, like, and even with me, like, I mean, there are things that I just simply don't know yet. And I'm continuing to learn just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like, you know, when we're developing these practices, it's good to have that level of socialization um, and that training in order to kind of get people to think along these lines. So when they do play with people, I mean, they're having a good time. And the thing is, it's like, you know, I don't like to think of it as like a niche thing where it's like, well, okay, so if you want to play with an Asian person, like this is what you need to do. And this is only going to apply to Asian people, right? I mean, I think that knowing these skills or having these abilities can help improve all aspects of your play and all aspects of any relationship that you might have. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just being able to learn to sort of, think about these things or when you're able to do it, you're able to apply it in different situations. Mm -hmm. I I love that, that you can tie in sort of like unlearning assumptions and unlearning biases through this like method of play. And like you said, it, it, it doesn't only affect it's, it's like all way of teaching that then you can apply to every other system and social situation in the world but you've accessed mm-hmm. it through a, a point of play that is already really enjoyable and people are already really engaged in. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like what's coming up right now, like a lot is that like a lot of the folks are talking to me about like how some of the strategies that we practice can actually like be incorporated into their business life, for example. Mm. You know, I mean, it's, I know business is a very s and kind of situation, but not overly so. But, yeah, right, right. Um, <laughs> But in, in that sense, though, um, yeah, I, I think that like when we talk about things like communication and being able to negotiate things and being able to kind of like think about the different steps and way to do that and how to negotiate these power dynamics and to persuade and to, to stick up for oneself. I think that like these community, uh, these skills are definitely applicable. Mm. And what about like stop people who are stumbling through, you know, would you say that the community or there are supports for, you know, having these conversations where people can put their foot in their mouth and fuck up and, and learn, learn to see how, how they've maybe misstepped? You know, I think that that's something that I specifically provide because it's like, for me, like, cause I know, like, for example, like one thing that comes up, 
um, is that people go like, what about drug use and BDSM? And it's like, well, I mean, operating, heavy, it's like you're going to operate heavy machinery with like, you know, being under the influence is definitely not a good idea, right? Mm. Um, but at the same time, um, I think that the way that the community handles it, um, I mean, I think that certain people are granted gratis versus other people are not. And I think it's, and I think that's based on a power dynamic. Mm. Um, so it's like, I mean, certain people are allowed to fuck up, whereas like other people are not. Can I say fuck up, by the way? Is that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I think it's certain people that are allowed that um, space, whereas other people are not. And I think usually it's folks that are challenging the system that are not allowed to screw up, whereas mm. those that don't challenge the system or uphold it are. So I think that's the way that we've structured it. Mm. I'm uh, <clears throat> I, just to switch gears a little bit here as something that I've been kind of curious about as the conversation has been going. And I hope it's OK that I asked this, Ali, but um, uh, how has your how has your background and your religion played a role in your life as as a gay man and also life within the world of like BDSM and and these types of topics? Yeah. And I think that that's something that's really important to talk about because again, like stories like mine are not necessarily presented as like the typical story. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think especially now with like the Afghanistan situation that's happening, I think there's a lot of media and coverage that are essentially, you know, going the, you know, it's an anti-woman government and mm. it's doing this. And again, like they, these people do commit atrocities toward gender minorities and women, but at the same time, I want to, put the caveat that like you know just you know, the taliban is not all muslims yeah, right yeah so, so i think that like that's something that's a major kind of caveat um and and especially like you know since we're going back to 9 11 again unfortunately socially it's it's definitely mm. i need to reinforce that point um but you know for me specifically mm. i mean i've had i mean i i think my experience I, I wouldn't, I don't want to call it atypical because I don't want to discount other stories that are like, that are queer and Muslim, just like me. But at the same time, like my story, the, in terms of the people I grew up with are, they were generally for the most part accepting. I mean, I know that like, for example, like, I guess my family had an issue with it for about a couple months and then mm. like when I was 15 and then they got over it. So, I mean, mm. like, there's probably pictures of like my grandmother with like my bullwhip somewhere. Like, going around the <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, so, um, so I mean, I, I, I mean, I can be more thankful to being part of this family that I, I happen to be in. Uh, but at the same time, I think that, you know, having to navigate the community as a gay Muslim, um, that's been definitely something that's difficult because I mean that, and it, because I think the issue for me was as, you know, 21 year Ali kind of, uh, 21 year old Ali kind of was sort of uh, growing up. It's just that, you know, I didn't know that these issues would exist. So I naively was just like, oh, well, like everything is going to go well. And like everything is going to be about, oh, apologize. Um, but like everything's going to go well and like people are going to accept me and I'm going to have equal access to do everything. And then real reality was like, nope, that's not going to happen. And I noticed, like, for example, like for mentorship, that was hard to come by. Um, like having people actually train me, whereas, like, you know, if I were, probably a white gay man I probably would have had like a plethora of people being like hey let me show you the ropes literally mm, yeah. mm -hmm. um, so so literally I think that you know the the gay thing wasn't so much of an issue growing up as eventually the person of color within this community was more of an issue for me interesting um, yeah yeah and um especially like with my experience like you know and I can only speak to my experience because I mean of course I've dealt with homophobia before 
Um, but like, it was just a question of why is it that like, you know, X people are getting X mentorship or like, why is it that X people are getting X opportunities? And it was a slow realization of like, wow, like this is something that really impacted me. Now, will I say, and again, like, you know, my experience is as somebody of color within the BDSM community. I mean, that can only speak to my experiences, but I mean, we have a multitude and range of experiences because I mean, like there are folks, for example, that might that might be of color but they're also they think that they feel more comfortable in it and that's and again like we can talk about the levels of internalized racism we can Mm. talk about the levels of like you know how well these people conform to these communities but at the same time there's still something different about not being white within these Mm. communities And, and you can pretty much look at like any literature on like how is it that racial minorities deal with like white dominated communities and you'll see the host of uh behaviors that you'll see yeah that must be so I would love to um I'm so curious about how how you went from coming out at 15 to this work like how you decided to make this kind of a mm. mainstream in your life um especially where it's it sounds like um your coming out experience was was maybe challenging at, at first with your family mm. and then they accepted it like mm-hmm. I, I guess I think I think when I think of social justice um, advocates, it comes with an assumption of a of of a heart a personal hardship, I, I, oh. th- and that's an assumption for sure. And uh, I just so curious to, well, to hear it, your story. It's, it's, it's a fair point, you know, because like the thing is, it's like you know, even though my family was okay with me, the environment that I grew up with wasn't okay with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because like, I mean, I went to a private school in Orange County, so Orange County is a very like you know stuffy <laughs> conservative area, and like I was the only out gay kid that was there. Wow. So I mean. So that definitely created some challenge. And I think that's, and and actually to your point, um, that was actually part of the, my early kind of activism work where like, I wanted to start a gay straight alliance where like all, because I'm like, oh, well, the public schools have one. Why can't we have one? And Mm. they they said it's like starting an abortion club. So, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're definitely right on the money with that because it's like, I had to do some fighting in the beginning in order to like, you know, get certain rights. And even then it wasn't, it, I don't think, I don't even know if they have it now. I'm so curious to find out if they did. Um, but um, yeah, like, but then like what happened was I think when I was a college student, it, my, my, my desire to be in the community changed because at that point I'm like, okay, so like now I'm in college and like everybody's having fun. Now I want citizenship. I want to be part of this community and I want to be able to express my sexuality. I want to express myself and not feel like there are any repercussions. And that was something that I think really kind of stood out was basically this idea that like, wow, like, you know, I'm going to like my first nightclub and I'm like, why don't people look like me? Mm -hmm. And so again, like that was my early introduction into being like, wow, like, you know, I'm South Asian and, you know, I'm in America and like, we don't really think about race in these terms. And so not only are you dealing with exclusion, but you're also dealing with exclusion in the sense of like, the culture doesn't cater to your community. So like, Mm. if we're going to talk about inequality, the first thing on people's minds isn't going to be, how do Pakistani gay people deal with race in America? (laughs) But then again, like, and it's because again, like we have different narratives and we have different like understandings of race in the United States. But I guess like if I were to be in England, the conversation would be very, very different. And so for me to navigate that kind of invisibility and um, for me to navigate that kind of like, I don't know how to articulate this, 
um, th that was very challenging for me growing up. And so for me, like that's sort of why I went to black studies professionally was because that was the only language available to me when I was a student. And like I, my mentors and my, uh, my academic mentors, and like the people that I work with and call colleagues, like they're the ones that taught me a lot of the vernacular, a lot of the concepts. And that's how I then springboarded into doing it professionally and sort of in mm. the lens I, through which I view the BDSM world. Mm. That's so cool. I love it. Yeah, this is, uh, <clears throat> Ali, this has been such a, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry guys. Uh, Ali, this has been such a fascinating conversation and uh, just really like really nice to hear that there's folks like yourself out there doing this work for for these communities because obviously it's important um you know this this type of inclusion is important in every community that exists out there but to know that it is the work is being done uh specifically in the in the BDSM community by folks like yourself is it's just really it's just really nice to hear um, how can people give yourself a plug? How can people follow the work that you do, um, and, and kind of follow along with what you're up to? Totally. So, um, you can look me up at www.gettingwolfie.com. Um, you can also find me on social media at the same link, Getting Wolfie. Um, and then also, um, I have my BDSM courses, which you can look at and possibly, you know, take at thinkific.gettingwolfie.com and I'm, I'm happy to send the links. Amazing, yeah, and we'll, we'll be sure to put those links in the bio. Um, uh, Ali, so nice to meet you. So glad that you took time out of your day today to sit down and chat with us. This has been really fun. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. All right, there you go. That was our conversation with Ollie. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Very fun. Um, again, we're going to take a little break and we'll be back in the new year on my birthday. Just saying on my birthday. So if you want to say happy birthday. A few birthday, times, say love, it a few more times. Love receiving happy birthday messages. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, yeah, have a good have a good holiday, folks. Take care of yourselves out there. Feel free to reach out to us on the holidays. If you have extra time on your hands, we'd love to hear from you. Turn me on podcast at gmail.com. Let us know who you are, what, why you're listening, what you love. Um, just, you know, spread the Christmas cheer or the holiday cheer, whatever you celebrate. Absolutely. Uh, folks, love you all, especially our patrons. Patreon.com slash turn me on where you can watch the uh, foreplay or aftercare segments. And um, that is it for this week. Until next week or Go next year. touch yourself. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.